Today uh, will be the last of a series of messages on missions that I've been teaching in Sunday school. And um, in two weeks, we'll start a different series. Next week, I'm actually going to be away preaching at a missions conference. So I thought we would finish up today with missions, a generous vision. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 41 through 47, and then we'll have a word of prayer together. Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless now our Bible study this morning. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts in a very real, powerful, and personal way. Pray that you'd be with the classes that are taking place downstairs as well. That uh, you'd use each teacher to just speak to the hearts and minds of the young people that are there. And uh, thank you again for this day and each and every day that you give us to serve you, to honor you, and glorify you. We pray, Lord, for the morning worship service as well. We pray that you'd bless and the junior church hour. And uh, just thank you again, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we finish up last week with our missionaries. And um, so uh, I believe um, that today we're going to receive our faith promise uh, commitments. But uh, today and next week and the following week, that's normally how we, how we do it. But I wanted to just talk this morning about um, giving and um, kind of cap off missions with regards to that. Because you've heard this several times, because I've always said this for years, as far as missions go, obviously God doesn't call every person to the mission field as far as going to a foreign country, but I believe God calls everyone to missions, meaning that you either are a goer or you're a sender. You either go yourself or you help people uh, to get there. But I want to look at the pattern here in, in Acts chapter 2 because the pattern for everything that we do, uh, the Bible is, is where we get the pattern. You know, we just don't come up with these things uh, on our own and decide, well, let's just have a missions and let's just do giving and let's just do this or let's. No, the Bible has given out a pattern for all of this. And so I want you to see in the early days of the church how this all was formulated and why we still try to adhere to it today. So look on your handout, if you would. The introductory statement says this, the Jerusalem church, probably more than any church in history, stands out as a model and example in terms of generosity. To understand their generosity, we need to understand the cultural setting. 
So God-fearing Jews had come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate the Feast of Weeks called Pentecost. So during each year, the Jews were to set aside 10% of annual material blessings to make the trip to the Holy City. Whole families ascended to Jerusalem in order to worship God. The normal population of Jerusalem was about 55,000, but more than 125,000 would come, swelling the population. Actually, I've read some, some other places there was over 250,000 that would come. Jerusalem was just mobbed with people because of, of Pentecost. So you understand what would happen here is this. So the, Pentecost lasted 50 days. These families would save up and they would travel from all parts of the world to come and celebrate Pentecost. So they'd have enough to support their trip until there was time to go home and they needed enough to get home as well. But what happened was, just as a reminder, look at chapter 2 and look at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord, in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And it appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how, we, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And so then, of course, in the book of Acts, it lists all of these other tongues and all of these other places because these people had come from all these places to celebrate Pentecost. They had saved up to come. And so this is what takes place there. And, of course, in Acts chapter 1, you go back there to Acts chapter 1 just to set this all up, go to verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Now this is Jesus that commanded them not to depart. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And, and, the, and when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So that was the promise. In chapter 2, which I just read, that was the fulfilling of that promise. And now in chapter chapter number 2, the, the, the first portion of Scripture that I read, this is the church now being formed. So thousands of people are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the issue here is this. You have 125,000 or more people that would normally be returning home. But they're staying now. And... They're using up whatever monies they have left. The monies that they had put aside to return home, that money is being spent and, and they need to be taken care of. And so now we find this, Acts chapter 4. Turn there if you would. Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 31. The Bible says this. 
And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon all them, or them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces or the prices of the things that were sold. And they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according to as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So if you noticed as I read this, it said that not any of them lacked. So those who were residents of Jerusalem that had the means to do so, they, they used their money, some of them even sold some of their possessions, to take care of those Jews that had stayed. So the point of all this is just that there was a generosity amongst the people. They were taking care of those that were still there. And we see a pattern that's set here in the book of Acts. Now, it's important to understand this, that Pentecost was a one-time event. And what was taking place here was a one-time event. And I think it's important because sometimes this portion of Scripture is looked at and people use this to, to promote like communal type living. Not sure that the Bible promotes communal type living. Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul would have to write and say this. He said, if a man doesn't work, then he shouldn't eat. But this is a one-time event that's taking place where the people had a need and the peoples of Jerusalem and people like Barnabas, apparently he was into real estate, he sold some of his land and he was supplying for the needs of those that were there. And it just goes to show you the heart. You know, Jesus would say, Paul would quote in the book of Acts, Jesus had taught, it is more blessed to, well, what did he say? It is more blessed to, than to. And so that's a tenant of our faith, that we are to be people who give. And that's been the tenant from the very early days of, of, of the church. So now, if you just open up your handout, I just want to go over these simple truths here that are found in the Bible with regards to giving. And this is the pattern that you and I, that we should adhere to. So, uh, we're not going to, all of the scriptures are right here on the handout, so you're not going to need to turn to these scriptures. But as the church would grow and the needs of uh, the church would grow, uh, throughout scripture, Different truths were taught. Now, what I really find interesting is probably in the book of First and Second Corinthians, those two epistles of Paul, uh, use, there's more about giving in those two epistles than all the other epistles. Think about that for a minute. If you know your epistles, why would I find that interesting? They were not poverty-stricken. There were other cities that were poverty-stricken. Yes? But, uh, the church in Corinth had a 
probably wouldn't be expected to give. Um, they were having issues. They had a lot of issues. But they were expected to give. But you're closing in on it. Go ahead. What else do you want to say? Well, did, but, uh, they were expected to give, but did they give? Actually, we'll see. They promised to give, but Paul had to kind of push them along and say, hey, you made a promise. And how come you didn't fulfill the promise? So you're right on that. So you're kind of closing in on this. Anybody else? So, well, let me ask this question because... Uh, Frank mentioned it, there was problems in that church. There was a lot of problems in the church in Corinth. And uh, of all of Paul's epistles, probably the most carnal church, most worldly church was the church, or almost fleshly church, was the church in Corinth. And so uh, Paul had to address these issues with them. Because they were not poverty-stricken by any means. Um, and, and I think you'll see that as we get into this. So let's look at this. Number one on our handout, Christians, according to the Scriptures, Christians are to be regular and proportional givers. Paul writes this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So let me just stop there. So this wasn't just about the church in Corinth. He wrote to the churches of Galatia. Now, just a reminder, I'm sure most of you know this, but Galatia is not one church. Galatia is a region of multiple churches. So where he writes to Corinth, he's just addressing that church. When he writes to Gal the book of Galatians, it's numerous churches in the region of Galatia. It would be like writing to all the churches in Massachusetts. Versus one specific church. So he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So Paul right there teaches about regular and proportional giving. So the principle is, Christians should set aside a certain percentage of their income on a, on a regular basis as they are paid in order to be able to systematically and proportionally give to God's work. That's the pattern that's laid out in the Scriptures. That, that, and I mentioned to you that the Jews going to Jerusalem and uh, putting that 10% aside so they could go and worship in Jerusalem, there, there was, that, that was, that was, there were more than, there was more than just one proportional giving the Old Testament Jews were required to do. and uh, But they put that 10% aside. And so we see also there's a pattern in the Old Testament. 10%, 10%, 10%. And for instance, Abraham, when he rescued Lot, and on his way back, when he, when he met the king, uh, he gave the, the king a 10% tithe. And so sometimes the argument is made, well, the 10% that was in the Old Testament law and we give by grace. And it's true, we are grace givers today. But the pattern has been all throughout the Scriptures. Abraham wasn't under the law. He was previous to the Mosaic law and he gave a tenth of what he had uh, to the Lord. So we're to set aside a percentage of our income and give it to the Lord's work systematically and proportionally. 
And Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians, he says, we're to be a model to others. Moreover, brethren, what we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So Frank had mentioned maybe they, they, didn't, they couldn't give. Church in Corinth could give. The churches of Macedonia were very poor churches. They didn't have much to give, but they gave abundantly. Um, and it's, it was proportionate. Obviously, if they didn't have much to give, from a percentage point of view, they probably would have given less than other churches. Um, or not from, or I shouldn't say, no, from a percentage point of view, they gave more than other churches, but probably the amount that they gave was less. You understand what I'm saying about that? So like, if let's just use a figure. If, if the average salary in, in Corinth was $1,000 a week, uh, and they gave 10%, that's $100 a week. If the average salary in the churches of Macedonia was $100 a week, maybe they gave 20%. So they would be giving $20 a week. So from a proportional point of view, the churches in Macedonia, dollar-wise, gave less, but proportionally gave more. Um, and they were a model, and Paul holds them up as a model uh, to other Christians. So the principle here is we need to be a real-life example of generosity, as were the Macedonians. And then the Scriptures teach us that Christians are to be responsive to God's word. And here was a problem that the Corinthian church had. They had promised to give, but they hadn't fulfilled that promise. So Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, now there, if we had read the previous verses, he said, he, I'm paraphrasing now, he would have said, you made a promise, you said that you were going to give, but you haven't done that. It says, now therefore perform the doing of it. That is, as there was a readiness to will, they all said, oh yeah, 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 we'll do that. So there needs to be a performance out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Again, it's, it's proportional. Um, the principle is God accepts and honors believers' gifts once they begin to give regularly and systematically, even though they may not give as much as they eventually will once they have their finances in order. So that principle is an interesting principle. So somebody might say, well, I can't tithe right now 10%. I can't do that. Well, what percent can you? I mean, people go out to eat dinner and they have no problem leaving a 15 or 20% tip for the waitress, which you really should. But oftentimes, people give less to their local church than they tip to the waiter or the waitress at the dinner they go out to. Now, this will sound harsh, but as Christians who walk with the Lord, and if you're mature and you've grown in your faith, and yet you don't support the local church, but you go out to dinner and spend quite a bit of money. Isn't there something wrong with that? I mean, I'm just being honest. Throughout the years, I've heard many Christians, this is really going to sound harsh, but I'm into it right now, so I might as well just keep going. <laughs> oh, they'll gripe and complain about the welfare system in America. How people, they don't want to work, they just... 
but they have no problem coming to the local church and not ever supporting the work of the church. That's a real, now, now I'm going to really get myself in trouble. So what you really are is a welfare church attender. Hey, I'm just being honest. Don't gripe about the government and the welfare system in the government when you just do the same thing in the local church. Hey, I'll let Ethan clean this up in the morning service. <laughs> Anyhow, Christians are to be responsive to God's word. You know, the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Let's move on to the next point. Christians are to be faith promise givers. Paul writes, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they should go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. In other words, God wants us to trust Him for future income and for the proportion that we can give to God's work. Ethan was teaching on this or preaching on this a week or two ago when he talked about putting and preparing money, putting it aside with the idea at some point you're going to use that to give. It's kind of like if we want something. You know, if you're my age or around my age, when, when I was growing up, credit cards were hardly even, you know, for my parents, hardly even existed. So I remember my, my dad, my mom and dad built a house in Watchung, New Jersey. And I remember for the first several years that we lived in that house, there was like no furniture in that house. Because they saved every penny they had to build the house. And then as they would gather money, they would add furniture to the room and, and, and to the house. But what we do now, we do the same thing now, though if we want something, we start to put money aside and then finally we get that money and we go ahead and we, and we purchase something and it feels good to do that. And I think that was the point Ethan was trying to make a few weeks ago. If you put that money aside and then you have like a conference or a missions conference or a special offering, then it's there. You've already prepared to give. It's like thinking ahead. And that's what Paul was writing here to the, to the uh, Christians there. He said, listen, he said, uh, before I come, collect this money. It's like when the missionaries were here. Before the missionaries even came, we had money put aside to, um, because of those of you who were involved in faith promise missions, we had money put aside to give them each a nice offering. A generous offering. We gave each of our missionaries that came a loved offering of $1,000 to be here. And um, because it cost the missionaries money to get here, they have to drive here. And uh, I just filled, I went to put gas in the bus today, half a tank, $75 of diesel. Diesel is $5.19. But so we were able to give them a generous offering and send them on their way as they go on to their next spot. But we had that money put aside for them. And so it should be in our Christian lives as well where we put money aside so that we're prepared for these things. That's the principle that's laid out here. Um, and then uh, Christians are to be cheerful givers. St. Corinthians says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth 
bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Um, and again, the principle here, when money is available, because we have planned our giving, it becomes a joyful experience to share that money. So let me go back to where I say, well, some, a Christian says, well, I can't give 10%. I can't do that. Well, how about 1% or 2%? I mean, don't say, well, I, I would, I've heard, I've heard this in my years. Christians have said, well, I would give, but I just can't give 10%. Okay. How about 1%? You got to start somewhere. How about you start with 2%? 3%. One of the books that influenced me when I was just a young Christian was, um, oh, I can't remember the man's name, but he wrote a book called God Owns My Business. And uh, he made his money in the plastic industry when plastics just became popular in, in the country in the 1950s and early 60s. And uh, that man endeavored, he's a Christian, that man endeavored to, 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 to go from giving 10% of his uh, what he made in business. So by the time he died, he would give, and he would keep the other 90%. By the time he died, he gave 90% to the Lord's work and lived on the other 10%. And God just blessed him um, because of his faithfulness. But you know what? As, if I remember correctly, with regards to reading that book, it wasn't, he didn't give out of necessity. He gave because he just wanted to give to the Lord's work. You know, when I watch those videos or slides, whatever we're, when we watch them or I read the missionary letters, and you see the work that's getting done around the world by our missionaries, uh, I don't know about you, but because they give the missions, it makes me feel good. I don't think there's anything wrong with me being made to feel good. I, I'm a part of that. You know, Philippians teaches us that fruit that might abound to our account. We have a part. It's like, um, so we, we had missionaries here to Argentina. It's like, I, I've never been to Argentina, but I had, I had, a, I had a part of the work in Argentina. It's like you, you were there, but you weren't there. You were able to, to see the work go forward there and the churches that were established there. And, uh, wherever our missionaries are serving, um, all that was taking place in Myanmar and how exciting that was. Uh, or in Honduras, but you have a part of that. And just to be, uh, and, and let's face it, most of us, the reality is we give, we live so well here in the United States. I mean, we really do. Um, but it's just so great to, to have a part of all of that. So Paul writes that here, says, listen, it's Christians are to be cheerful givers and not don't give grudgingly or of necessity, be a cheerful giver. Um, because really everything that we have comes from the Lord as it is. And then Paul writes here and he says to this church there, listen, you're also to be trusting givers. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. The principle here is, listen, God will meet your needs when you put Him first. It's not going to necessarily give you everything that you want, 
but he'll take care of all your needs. And God promises to do that if you and I will just be faithful to the principles that are laid out in God's word. And so these are just simple truths that are found in, in the Bible. Um, take, let's just take our Bibles real quick. Go, go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. So, I really believe that these principles were all built up upon Jesus' teaching, and Paul understood that teaching. And in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, not Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me just stop there for a minute. So when Paul writes, don't give out of necessity, we don't give out a necessity, he said, uh, or grudgingly, but we give out of our sincerity. It's just a picture of where our heart is at. Um, and so this week was, Shelly and I, uh, last Saturday, was our 40th wedding anniversary. So on Monday, I kind of surprised her. We like to go to Maine. And uh, I said, let's... I said, pack your bags. I said, we're going to go up and spend a few days up in Maine. And uh, so we rented a motel room up there and just spent the time up there. Well, I did that because uh, I love her and she loves, that's her happy place, Maine. She likes it there. She's the happiest on the, on the ocean. So we went and we did it. Necessity. I certainly do it, didn't do it grudgingly because I enjoy our, myself and I enjoyed my time with her. But I did it out of sincerity. But the same truth is found in our giving to the Lord. Uh, we just want to do that. We should want to be able to give. And uh, whether it's missions or give to the local church and, and to have a part in that. So Jesus says that here. He says, where's, where's your heart at? Where your treasure is there, will your heart be also? And then you skip down to verse 24. He says, so no man can serve two masters. And, and let me just stop there. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. That was a big problem in Corinth. They were a very carnal church. They were trying to serve two masters. And Paul had to constantly correct them. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life and what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. 
And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And that's really the issue when it comes to giving. It's where is your faith? Where is your faith? And um, that what Paul is challenging there, the church in Corinth. Come on, where's your faith here? These are the instructions that are given. Where's your faith? So if you're trusting Jesus to take care of your salvation, your eternity, you put your trust in that. Can't you trust him with your finances as well? So just this challenge at the end of your lesson here. So which of these biblical principles are you applying? So you have to ask yourself that. I mean, we've just gone over these what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven principles that are found. There's many more in the Bible. But are you making application? Which of the biblical principles here are you applying to your life? Are you proportionally giving? Uh, are you a model to others? By the way, I think it's important for your children to know that you give. Because when your children know that you give, they're the next generation, they'll see that it's important. If your children don't see you giving, then they won't think it's important. Um, are you being responsive to God's word? Uh, what about faith promise giving? You believe God's going to take care of, of that? Uh, do you give cheerfully or do you just give grudgingly? Uh, Christians, are you trusting? Are you trusting God to take care of your needs? Then lastly there it says, what extent are you prepared to step out by faith and start giving systematically and proportionally? We know the Scriptures teach you give through the local church. That's, that's the pattern that was set up in the Scriptures. You give through worldwide missions, through the local church. Um, you know, all of our missionaries that we support, they're all out of a local church. And they're all um, accountable to the pastor of that local church. You notice that on their, if you read their missions letters on the wall in the back, you'll see there's the sending agency, and then there's also the local church that they're out of. Local church ministries. So that's the challenge for you this morning uh, with regards to giving. Um, let God speak to your heart about this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us this morning and these truths from your word. Help us to apply them to our lives and not to ignore them. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.